0: We've got the real joy of having Vlada Stojanovic with us uh, this morning. Vlada's going to come speak to us. Vlada will no doubt introduce himself, but it's a real privilege and joy to have him with us, speaking to us this morning. He's going to do us a lot of good. And uh, yeah, let's be open in our hearts to what God has to say to us this morning through him. Vlada, over to you, my man. Hello? Hey, yes, 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 yes. Well, I'm Vlada. And I'm gonna be your first bold and hairy speaker for today. <laughs> yeah? Because Steph and I we are committed to the same style. <laughs> and before I start, just to make sure you can listen to me without any kind of distraction because you probably think now well he sounds very familiar yes i sound like a group from despicable me and uh, that's it <laughs> i can't help that how it's going to be that um. <laughs> genesis 18 is something i want to share with you something which is on my heart uh, a good old-fashioned tradition comes from Middle East that I love it a lot and I know English people are excellent in that and uh, that is uh, a, 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 an act of huggling okay English people love to huggle for a good price I know that I know that no they don't like um, but I love it it's it's a, such a great part of my life it's just because when I grow up you know it's just the, it's, it's it's a social drama that Must happen. It's almost must happen when you're in a proceed of buying something So and I'm enjoying so much, you know, and once Sonia and I we were in a in a Turkey in Kusadasi And you go down to the street market you go down to the bazaar You know the lot of shops everywhere that sells everything for amazing prices and it's very expensive Okay, yes, you can buy very cheap things in Turkey, but you gotta huggle down, you know, it's a part of tradition and I love it because it's drama behind that. So once I said to Sonia, Sonia, you just walk behind me, you know. And she was behind me, and I was walking with a grim face, you know, using my hands, talking something to myself. And, and the guy said, Oh, sir, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening with you? I I oh, just, oh, I can't, I can't anymore. What's happening? Oh, and I, this is my wife. She just spends all my money. And this guy just looked at her. Oh, sir, I understand you. My wife is the same. (laughs) And then we had some chai together, and we got a good price. And I asked him, well, you really lowered the price for me. Why is that? He says, ah, don't worry. He says, where are you from, sir? And I say, I'm from Serbia. Oh, Serbistan, Serbistan. You know how to huggle. We always give us a a lower price for Serbs. I said, how do you earn money? Well, what we lose on Serbs, we get back from English people. (laughs) So thank you very much. (laughs) But that doesn't matter, okay? You can be a good in a huggling on the streets or, or what. It's not important, but that social drama of huggling, it's something that you actually got to learn and you need to do with God because God wants you to goggle him down, okay? There is something in God because he is the God of the Middle Eastern culture as much as the God of the Western culture. And the Bible is written in that culture. So you have a lot of examples when God's actually inviting people and says, huggle me down. Come on, stand in front of me, and that's what you ask. Huggle me down for a good price. So the great chapter is in, a, in, a, in a Genesis 18, and you can follow me, and I can show you how this works and how, why we as a church and individuals needs to have in our heart that, hug, that desire to do a huggling with God. So Genesis 18, you know the story. It's about two wicked cities, Sodoma and Gomorrah and they're very, very wicked, and that wickedness about Sodom and Gomorrah, it's not just uh, um, uh, immorality. It's it's about they've been so wicked that they will be intolerant to anybody who is uh, vulnerable, they'll be absolutely horrible to anybody who is poor, they will oppress people in so many ways. That was the main sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was the government, it was the nation, it was the people who will not tolerate the weak among them. And God is on a way to destroy them. And he stopped with Abraham to deliver first message that Sarah is pregnant. They did that work. You know, the second thing is to let Abraham know what they're planning with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's go like this. Then the men set out from there. They finished the first job. They let the Sarah know what's going to happen with her. Verse 16. Then the men set out from them. And they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. Just like a good Middle Eastern host, you know, who just doesn't close the doors when the ghost steps outside. He walks them down, makes sure that they safely go down wherever is his responsibility of the land. Then the Lord said, Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? At least one of those mysterious guests is God, because it talks in that kind of way. Abraham would surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. That is that is gonna use him as a blessing. You, Abraham, you're gonna be a blessing. You, Abraham, are gonna be instrument of my salvation, the instrument of my blessing for the nations around you and the nations that are gonna come. That is the blessing that God is putting on Abraham. So they tell Abraham, what about going to do? And then, and that is to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Then the man turned away and went towards Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And if you remember, and you know the story, the Abraham, nephew Lot, lives there with his family. And now you get a feeling that the next thing that's going to happen, this haggling, it's all because of Lot and his his family there. And that Abraham's standing in a gap for God just because of them. Then the Abraham approached him. And this word, approach him, means it's a legal word. It means it's standing of God to bring your, uh, at the court of God to bring your request and to, to have argument. So he is in front of God. That Abraham approached him and said, Will you swept away the righteous with the wicked? And if there is a 50 righteous people in the city, will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of at least 50 righteous people? Far be from that that you do such a thing, to kill righteous with wicked, to treat righteous and wicked alike, far be from you, will not the judge of all the earth do the right thing, and I just loved it, this is the totally Middle Eastern, this is totally honor and shame, there is no logic here, there is not like a proper logical argument, what you have here, it just plays on God's honor, surely you're not going to do this, Surely your name is such a great, such a beautiful name, such an honorable name, such a glorious name that you will never, ever think about to do that kind of wicked thing. You cannot attach to do such a wicked thing to your name, to destroy wicked people together, to destroy the righteous people together with the wicked. Surely, surely you will not allow that, that kind of shame to be attached to your name. The Lord said, if I found 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then the Abraham spoke again. Now that I have bold, Ask to speak to the Lord, he's getting in a practice of haggling. What if the number of the righteous is five less fifty? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? If I found forty-five, then he said, I will not destroy it. Then again he spoke to him. And just remember, this is a man standing in the presence of the God, okay? A, 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 a scary big God. And this is the man standing in his presence and huggling him down. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry. What if only 30 can be found? He answered, I will not do it if I found 30 there. The Abraham said, now that I have been so bold, as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be a-. He's really pushing here, okay? He's really, really pushing. Not be angry. But let me speak just one more time. What if 10 can be found there? He asked, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. Then the Lord has finished speaking with Abraham. He left, and Abraham returned home. I love this text. It's a, it's a full, this is the text you shouldn't read quickly. You should get in a part of the drama. You should put yourself in the context. You should put yourself in a in a in a in the shoes of Abraham, sandals of Abraham, you know, and try to understand what's happening here. When you do that, when you don't read quickly, and you Try to take the western glasses and put the eastern glasses as much as you can. There is a question here that actually need some answers. And the first thing is, why on earth Abraham is praying for that city on the first place? There's no logic here. Because I always tell you, know the reason why he's doing this is because of Lot. He has some relatives in the city. I don't want the city to be destroyed because there is my blood relatives there. But then... The whole city and the whole nation and all these people have been so horrible, so horrible to Abraham, so horrible to Lot. When you read, you can see all kind of things, all kind of bad stuff they're doing to Abraham. Abraham is in a war with them. Lot suffered because of them. It's all kind of stuff. It will be way easier, way easier, and way righteous and a good stuff, good thing to be done, that Abraham just come to the Lord and said, Lord, please, you know, you're on the way to destroy the city but please there are some good guys there you know they're my blood they're not this nation can you please please send somebody send somebody to 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 let Abraham to let Lot know what's going to do so they can escape on a time or can you send the angels to just take them away please save them because you destroy them because I know who they are and I know this is the righteous thing to be done I suffer so much from them. I really suffer for them. And they're wicked in so many ways. And there is no salvation for them. They're so oppressive. They, everything they touch, they destroy. Everybody's suffering because of them. I can hear the cry of the oppressed people. I can hear my own cry because they've been so wrong to me. Destroy them. But please save Lot. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He's actually putting himself in a really dangerous place. Really dangerous place to stood up before God and ask for the mercy of the whole city. And that actually doesn't go in my head. Why on earth he's doing that? He he put himself in the risk. God, don't be mad. God, can I please be bold one more time to ask you? Don't get angry. Why are you doing this, Abraham? Why are you doing? And I think he clearly understood two things that should be deeply rooted in our souls also. He really understood two things. And the first thing he understood, that God's hands of mercy, okay, can stretch so far that can reach even the most wicked nation, the most wicked people, and that God has chose him to be that channel of mercy. He chose me to be that channel of mercy. And that is the calling. That is the heavenly anointing, heavenly responsibility that's lying down on your shoulders. I have chosen Abraham so that all nations on earth shall be blessed through him. And that's something we know, I will say. Okay? We talk about the calling. We talk about the anointing. We talk a lot about what needs to be done. Okay? But those things are not disconnected from praxis okay these things are not disconnected from so Abraham know this and he answering well on display there is a drama here there is a drama here there is a God throwing a bone to Abraham okay Abraham what are you gonna do just like a father something doing with it with the children teaching them some basic principle that they should know and you have a drama here God throwing a bone to Abraham Abraham what are you going to do Shall we, it's almost like a conversation with, with, with those three guys, you know. Shall we say to Abraham what we're going to do? Shall we tell him that we run away, you know, to, do, to destroy Sodoma? Okay, well, let's go to destroy Sodoma. And walking, looking back, Abraham, what are you going to do, man? What are you going to do? Because you know we put responsibility on your shoulders, we know you know that we put call to be a blessing to the nations, and we're on a way to destroy some nations. What are you gonna do? And Abraham responds so well. And that is, my friends, when you hear the news, when you hear what's happening around, every single time when you hear what's happening in this world, in your neighborhood, every single time when you are a witness of the wickedness of principalities and the powers in the world today. God says, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about that? Are you going to stand in the gap? Yes, it's painful. Yes, you're suffering because of it. But what are you going to do? Are you going to stand in the gap and do something? unless you can pray. So that's what Abraham got. And he actually, it was like a test for him. Did you go to this, Abraham? Do you have this in your heart? And Abraham did the right things. So that blessing, it's on our shoulders. Okay? And we as the churches in Norfolk or wherever you are, wherever you are, you cannot go through the day and being bombarded with the horrible things without doing some action. Because God is throwing a bone every single day. What on earth you church are going to do about this? And maybe we just need to be stop being a polite, emotionally controlled. Maybe you should be a little bit anger, like you're getting this anger from me. That's my... Personality, and that's my culture. I'm coming from a Balkan, we're very passionate. You know, we always sound like we're fighting amongst one another. Actually, we have a, just a nice, you know, conversation, nothing else. But maybe you should be stop being a polite, stop being a emotionally controlled, and allowed just the overwhelming power of the bad things that are just to hit us and actually get some tears out and actually raise up our pulse at the level of making us to be zealous that God can use us and they can break this bad situation and bring some change. And that's when the huggling with God's coming, because it's not one prayer; it's a huggling God down to do the right thing. So you cannot look at the poverty. You cannot look about the things that happen in the world. You cannot look at the rise of corruption, likes or love, a rise of the richness, and, and, and which makes people to be more poor. You cannot look the rise of the nationalism, totalitarianism. You cannot look the rise of the leftists on the left and the right wing on the right. You cannot look those things because God is showing you born and says, my church, you are my presence here. You are the seed of Abraham. You are the ones I put on your shoulder responsibility, to a blessing to this place and the blessings to the nations. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to huggle me down because I'm going to destroy this place? Unless somebody steps in a gap and huggles me down, and there is that a beautiful, incredible desire and a mystery of God. God doesn't—it's wa- almost like you're feeling God doesn't want to do these things, but there is a mystery that He limits Himself in His mission by the willingness of these nations to stand in front of Him, to huggle Him down, to take risks, to fight for a people people to whom they don't own anything but they're ready to stand says I feel in my bones my father Abraham I feel Holy Spirit in the heart but I feel his him in my bones and he's been blessing and he's calling me to be a blessing that's the first thing that is the first thing but the second thing Why on earth he stopped at 10? Why? He's doing so well. Man, when you, when you huggle somebody and you see the good opening, oh, man, you're pushing. You don't want to stop at 10. I mean, your friend has a two-year-old Mercedes, 50,000 quid, and you know he's going to sell it, or you're just making jokes, so asking, oh, man, I will, I will really buy that car from you for 10,000 quid. And he says, yeah, no problem. Really? Yeah. Wow, man, that's brutal. I'll, I'll give you five. That's no problem with five. Thousand quid? Yeah, no problem. Well, how about you actually pay me so I take this garbage <laughs> from you? I mean, that's what you do when you fill the opening. He's doing so well. God is really lowering the numbers. But he stops at 10. I think he deeply realized in his heart, it doesn't matter, I can't go to one, but there is not even one righteous in that city. There is not even one on whose behalf God is going to stop destroying Sodoma. There is not even one there. I just, last night, I just just watched on YouTube the Mecca, the holy city in Saudi Arabia. And in Mecca, it's a holy city because it's a birthplace of Muhammad. But you have that, uh, uh, it's called Kaaba, a big, um, uh, a big uh, cubic rock, black rock. And you've probably seen images of that, millions and millions of uh, Muslims, pilgrims, goes around that, in a circle around that rock. And they have only one hope with that. So the purpose is to go around and to touch it uh, and pray. And they have only one hope, and that one hope is that there is at least one righteous Muslims amongst them, on behalf of whom God's gonna hear his prayers for salvation of the all Muslims and, and hear his prayer, you know, and do the right thing. The fact is there is a one righteous, but he is not in that crowd around that, around that cubic, you know, he's on a cross. And he's not just righteous, he died for us so we can be saved. So there is a one righteous whose righteousness is so pure, sacrifice so amazing, that on behalf of him, even the most wicked person can come in your mind, can be saved. Now you close your eyes and you think about that nation, that community, that place that hard and close school, that family member who's so resistible to the truth of the gospel. You imagine that. Well, there is a one righteous man on basis of who that person, that community can be totally transformed and saved. Amen? And that doesn't mean only that. That means for us, there is a one righteous man on whose behalf we can pray And God can save every single Sodom. So later on, we're going to pray. And I want you to have this in your mind. There is a one righteous name. And when you bring that righteous name to God, God cannot embarrass himself to not stretch his hands of mercy and show his favor, blessing, reconciliation, and salvation. Because without that, if God doesn't do that, and you bring this righteous name to him, That makes him to not be the righteous God. And when I say those righteous, you take in your legal kind of terms. No, no, I talk about God is not allowed to be shamed. He's not allowed to be shamed that somebody comes in such a great name and says no. But I'm bringing in that name. This this name is so pure. This name is so wonderful. This name, this person is so honorable. Surely because of that, you got to do the right thing. And God will do the right thing. So now we have the name. Two things I want to bring from this. And the first thing is, just like Abraham, each of us is placed into a community to pray and stand in a gap on their behalf. Each one of us, God placed you in that family, in that church, in that community, in that nation, and as his total sovereign choice, And he wants you to be a blessing. He wants you to be a mercy for that community, just like Avram was. And there is a a beautiful verses in Acts 17 when Paul says that God predetermined the allotted periods and the boundaries of the people dwelling place so so they might learn to seek God. And if you look in that way, you see... This neighborhood, these people who lives right now in your neighborhood, actually God predetermined their place and their time to live in the presence of you so you can teach them how to seek God. That child you have, God chose you and chose that child to put in your hands so you can teach him how to seek God. That child who rebelled... God says, the only hope for that child, it's you to pray for him. Because I put him in your mind. I put you in your hands. Yes, you can't control his life. But I put him here so you can pray for that child to be saved. Do you see your family members like that? Do you see your children like that? You got to see them like that. Your first responsibility is teach them how to seek God. And I appeal to you because nobody in Serbia does that. But when they come here, I know the families don't come in a church. I know the children don't come in the church because they have a football practice or, or ballet classes or whatever you choose. Guys, please, please, God's put our children in our hands so we can teach them how to sing God. And you can't put those things in front of that. What is the matter what is the purpose of them? To be the most cleverest, to be a David Beckhams of this world. To be the most clever people of this world. When this world is going to burn. The Sodom is going to burn. It's going to go. Our first responsibility is to put in, is somehow in our children's mind that God is in the first place. And on that list, there is nothing else under. And then you can open a next page. Make another list of priorities. But this list is gonna be empty because nothing deserves to go under that list under God's name. He is the most important priority in our lives. And let's close our eyes and think about right, these people, God allocate this place of living and this time of living so they can be part of my life, so I can somehow teach them how to see God. It's our responsibility. And Abraham understood that so well. There is a, Paul again says in the Romans 14, says, I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarian, and I'm ready to preach the gospel. And you think, okay, right. You don't know those people. You don't know them. Why are you in a debt to them? You don't know them. Well, there is two different ways you can be in a debt. Somebody borrows you money, you owe the money, you give the money back. But there is other way how can you mean a debt to somebody. And that's when somebody really, really helps you in a possible situation. Gives you so much money that changed your life. And you know you can repay that person back. And that person doesn't want to be to repay back. And that person tells you now when you receive all this grace from me, I want you to be a blessing and grace to other people. And giving, showing the grace to other people, you repay your debt back to me. And that's who we are. We received so much. And of single one of us, there is a, a debt of honor of our name. Are we ready to repay it back to God? So that makes your life totally different. When you have a debt, there is no freedom. You can't have 5,000 quid in your pocket and 50,000 debt in your bank and think 5,000 quid, I'm going to buy new clothes. No, the responsible person, there is a debt that needs to be paid. Totally change your life. Then it's every, from everywhere to everywhere. Where we know there is a debt of honor. Because what God did for us, there is a debt of honor that can only be repaid back by us going to the world in which he put us and paying back, showing grace and mercy, giving salvation to the people that God's put in our hands. Each of us is a place in community to pray. Each of us is put in a place of community to be everything, to everybody, everywhere. And it's a, another thing, because of that one name, we can stand in a gap because of the name of the one who is righteous. And there is a one name on whose God is willing to do everything because just like Abraham is playing on God's honor, surely the righteous judge of the world will not do such a wicked thing to destroy a righteous with the wicked. It's the same God who is willing to do everything because of the righteousness of that one name. The name of the honorable person in one's community opens every door, and I know that very well. Maybe it's not the, the, the case here in England. You know, it's what you know, not who you know, but I live in a culture that it's, it's all about who do you know. And you have a righteous person, the name of the righteous person, and you come in that name. It's open every single door. And Jesus' name opens every door of every situation, in every culture, of every nation. Because his life is counted as honorable, respectful. Because of that, God is ready to show grace and mercy to absolutely everybody. We come to Christ in Christ's name. God is obliged to show mercy. And I'm talking in a huge words, but I absolutely stand behind that. That when you come to God in a, His name, He's obliged to show mercy. Just because who Christ is. And God doesn't want to attach shame to not stretch His hand on mercy to somebody who comes in His name. In other words, when righteous man and woman, when righteous church comes... With a righteous request, through the righteous mediator, to the righteous God, to ask the righteous thing, the impossible things will not. The impossible things will happen. It's unstoppable. So I want you to have this idea of prayer when you come, when you come and say in Jesus' name. That's not just the way how we Christians feel finish our prayers. No, that doesn't mean that. It's not even the theological debate. Shall we pray in Jesus' name? Shall we pray in God's name or what? And spend countless hours discussing, is this the right phrase? No, for Paul and his guys, it means when you come to your great benefactor and somebody provide the mediator to whom you can, that door be open. And you come and say, my great benefactor, I'm coming in the name of that person. He sends me. Please, can you hear my request? That benefactor... It's obliged because of his honor to do the right thing because you're coming in the right name. So, Jesus, as a righteous man, he didn't dice that a group of wobbly Christians could cuddle each other with the hope that Jesus will come and take us away as fast as possible or to play church and sing sentimental love songs. He died to make it possible for us to boldly go in his name and see impossible things happening. Until the last man on the last place in the world have a clear and exciting picture of king of the universe who fought the heavenly battle here on, on earth 2,000 years ago and won. And now he gives us the grace of invitation to be on his victory side in the whole eternity. That is why he died. So the people in your home, in your community, in Norwich and every single place around here, even to Liverpool and and, and Jerusalem, in your schools and jobs, those people who are so tough will move from atheists to missionaries. And he told us that not even the gates of hell can stop us in that. And that is all because of that one name. So when you come next time in prayer, it's, 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 a, it's insulting to God to come in Jesus' name and ask small things. It's almost, I can, I can, I can easily understand in my culture that the mayor of the town comes and I have a good dinner with him and he loves me and all that kind of stuff. He says, brother, this is my visit card, which I've seen happening. <laughs> this is my visit card and this is my signature. Just show it, you know. It's going to open every day. And just call me if you need something. And then I call him tomorrow and says, can you sort in my parking tickets? And this guy will say, do you really think my name is so small? You ask me such rubbish like that? I mean, I just give you my visit card with the signature. I just told you call me. I can open all kinds of doors for you. And you call me for that? It's insulting. So we got to connect our prayers with the huge things in God's name. Good, big things. Because when God hears that, that is a challenge for me. If that can be a challenge. That is... For what? I want to connect my name. When those things happen, it's huge. It's huge. And that's doesn't work with Sonia's mom. You know, when you come to Sonia's, sorry, i thank take your mom uh, as an example, but it's the freshest one. But what I want to say when you, when you say, well, look, I, I pray and the bus came on time. It's, it's okay. Keep it for yourself. But pray big prayers so when you say something, people can really stand in awe and say, Wow. Wow. I cannot justify this in any other way except God really changed the impossible situation because it wasn't possible in the human strength for those things to happen. So we got to pray a huge prayers, huge prayers. God loves when we pray big prayers, like a salvation of Sodom on, on, on Jesus' behalf. Because asking the big things to the honorable God, God says, yeah, I want to be part of that. Ask me and I will give you nations for your inheritance we got to learn those. And I, I love being a part of the relational mission because we are, we are getting there, committed to the prayer for the big things. Be part of that because that is all about that. That is a, a calling and inheritance and, a, and, a, and, and Abraham in our bones meeting a mighty God and his powerful spirit to do amazing things. It goes well together. In the book of Acts, Jesus ascended to heaven and disciples closed themselves for 10 days and devote themselves to prayer. Ten days, just prayer. And Peter stood up and preached maybe ten minutes, and 3,000 people got saved. And we prayed ten minutes, and preach like it looks like a ten days. And we get three people saved. We put zeros in the wrong places. And there is a Jane Frazier, a great missionary in China. He said, I used to think that prayer should should be on a first place, and the preaching of the God's word on a second place. Now I feel that it's more true that prayer should be first, second, and third place, and preaching on a fourth place. We gotta understand this: that God's wanna get connected to that kind of things. A huge praise because His name is huge. We gotta know that every single time, please, English people, every single time when we are bombarded with the bad things around us is not just for a coffee conversation and a polite. Bad things are happening. No, it's to stir your blood, to make you zealous, to make you cry, to throw you down on the ground, to be angry, to cry, to beg, to do something. And then you figure out there is nothing I can do. And then you figure out well, there is a one and the best thing I can do. I can actually come on my knees and huggle the God down and not give up. In every single moment, he could give up and say, 40, that's fine. If you find 40, that's fine. No, he goes all down to 10. It's a pursuing your prayer. It's not giving up. It's a hugger. You promised. You said your name. It's impossible. Your hand of mercy. Surely, you're not going to allow this kind of thing. Surely, you're not going to allow your enemies to laugh and say what kind of God you are. Surely, you're not going to allow your children to suffer, you know, shame of people laughing because they have such a little God. Surely you're going to do a great thing. Surely show yourself in an amazing way. Surely change this culture. Surely destroy the totalitarianism. Surely stop the madness that's happening in the world. Surely let everybody know that because we pray, your church and your nation, in your mighty name, in a, to the mediator of the great name of Christ, you have done those things. Surely God does something. So let's pray today big prayers. We're going to have opportunity to pray big prayers. And I want you to come and and have that feeling that what you have in your hands through that name opens every single door. And what you have in that name means that you can bring your prayers, your unperfect, rubbish prayers that you think just hitting the wall and the ceiling and don't go far away. God wants to bring me those prayers because I have a man in my office, it's called Christ. It's my son. He has a compassion to you. He is the one who prays to me all the time, which means he takes your prayers. And he says, oh, I understand their heart and what they but this, it's rubbish. <laughs> they got everything wrong. So, but don't worry. I'll take your prayers. I rewrite them, and I bring them in the right way to God, and he's going to fulfill them. It's like a child who just goes and picks up all kinds of flowers on a, on, a, on a field for his mom little child, pick up a few good flowers and a lot of grass and, 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 and roots of, or whatever. And then the father takes and clears and present to mom in the right way. This is what Christ does. So don't think so much how you're going to present some things. Pour out your heart, your attention and, and your desire for God to show his hands in impossible situations. Jesus will take those prayers, present to God in a proper way and miracles will happen. And God and the world will know that's because of our God and because of his church and because the righteous man did some righteous thing, and God's honored that. May God bless you all. Let us all have an amazing day together, and let's pray some great prayers later on. Amen.